This morning, we really want to equip you for talking about, being able to talk about what are the basics of our faith, what are the essential truths of Christianity. So today we're going to talk about part five here, how to communicate God's message. These essentials we think about, this is especially appropriate as we do head to Easter, especially if we're going to invite somebody, because sometimes when you invite someone to church, that can start a conversation. It can be an opening for a conversation about spiritual things. But as we all know, throughout the year, there are opportunities when people might even ask us a question about, well, what do you believe, or why do you believe that, or why do you go to church, or all kinds of situations can come up. Sometimes we can just say, someone's going through something hard, we can say, hey, I'll pray with you about that. It's okay if I pray for you. And lots of people who don't want to say, well, I'm not interested in going to church, they would love to be prayed for. And that could be an opening for us to start to share. But one of the things we're trying to do in this series is really to make sure that we're equipped, well-equipped to know what it is we believe and why. And so today what we're going to talk about, as I mentioned, these are kind of like the essential bedrock truths of Christianity. So if you've been a Christian for a long time, this might be a little reminder review for you. But we're also going to try to put it together in kind of a neat way, I think, that really makes a lot of sense. If you're newer in your faith, or perhaps you've never made the decision to follow Christ, I think today is going to be helpful as well as we talk about these, uh, these bedrock truths to kind of see how it all does, do, it does fit together on who God is and who we are and how that all comes together. Well, as you grab your sermon notes that were in your bulletin there, uh, I've got several scriptures, and actually if you look at your sermon notes, you'll see that it's really filled with words. So pull out your pen or your pencil, hopefully you're ready to go here, all right, what we want to talk about this morning. As we start talking about how to communicate God's message, one thing we have to realize is there's a number of different responses that people can have when they think about the Christian faith, they think about Christianity. I want to share some of those with you real quick to get ourselves started here. For some people in the world today, they may live some far corner of the world that you and I have never been or even thought of, or they may live right here in Perry Hall or Baltimore. But for some people, they have actually never heard the story that we're about to share today in a way that they understand. We all understand that, right? There's people here who maybe have heard about Jesus, but they don't know the story of Jesus. They don't know what that, who he was or what that means. There's others who have never even heard his name once. For anybody in that category, they need to hear the message in a way they can understand it, okay? So that's what we're doing. We're going to be equipped so that we can help them with that. For other people, they may have heard the story, but somehow the story got distorted. Have you ever run to someone who said, well, I used to attend church or, you know, I, I was a Christian, but now they're not. You ever run into something like that? What's happened? Maybe they heard the story. Maybe they even understood it. Maybe they did or didn't. But somehow something happened. Maybe they interacted with some people who call themselves Christians. And that interaction caused them not to understand the story anymore. Anyone tracking with what I'm saying here? Okay. I think we've all run to people like that. There are others who have heard God's story. But they think it's enough that they believe that God exists, or maybe even they believe that Jesus Christ came and did something, and maybe even they believe he died on the cross, but all it's enough just to believe about it, that it happened. Some people, that's what they think. And then there are others who are influenced, influenced by our increasingly skeptical culture who don't think that what God did or what Jesus did 2,000 years ago has any relevance to their life today. That's a growing consensus. Uh, Back in 2007, they did a Gallup poll, and they asked people about what they think about Christianity, if they think it's true or not. 
And of the 70% said that back then, today less than 65% say that. So just in a few years, we can see over every few years passes, fewer and fewer people in our country believe the truths of Christianity are true, the things that the Bible teaches us. So as we think about these different misunderstandings that people can have or uh, maybe even distortions of God's story, His gospel, we've got to remember this is not a new situation. Even though we can look at it and say, well, gee, back when I was younger, more people used to believe in God than believe in God today. We say, well, wow, that's been a different situation. That's changing. But this has been true all the way throughout church history. If we go back to the first century, to the original believers, the first generation of believers themselves, they faced these same kinds of issues of people not understanding the gospel. Some had never heard of it. Some of it heard it, but maybe the interaction of other believers had actually turned them away from the gospel. All those same things that happened back then as well. So if we turn in our notes, or maybe turn your Bible, maybe you've got it on your phone, or you've got a Bible here with you this morning, we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. The Apostle Peter's writing disciples scattered all over the Roman Empire. Most of these people he's never met face to face, but he's writing them a letter to encourage them. And he talks about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ while living in a culture that is not friendly, that is not accepting, and doesn't really even understand what it means to be a Christian. So let's read uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, let's start in verse 13 there. Now who will want to harm you, Peter says, if you are eager to do good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So he says here, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Now what does that tell you right there? People are actually coming to these believers and they're, they're threatening them verbally, perhaps even threatening physically that they're going to do something to them. And Peter tells us, hey, I know you live in a difficult culture. I know that most people don't understand what we're talking about, and they don't even want to hear it sometimes. But don't worry or be afraid. That's encouraging, isn't it? He says, instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. What's the answer when you and I sense fear coming into our hearts? When we're, something comes, some situation comes up, and we're a little uncomfortable about it, or we're afraid, maybe some anxiety starts coming in. What's the answer to that? It's to worship God. It's to worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Because what happens when we do that? I don't know about you this morning, but when we sang some of those songs, and we sang about, do you know that the Lord is in front of us, and the Lord is behind us, and he's right beside us? What, is that? what picture did I give you this morning as we sang that? I was encouraged. I was like, you know what? The Lord is with us. The Lord is with me. God is with us. That's good news, isn't it? Peter's saying the same thing here. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. That's an important verse we want to talk about today. He said, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Why do you live that way? The good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. (laughs) Christ suffered for our sins once for all time, Peter says. It's a great summary of the gospel right here. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Can we just take a moment and pray? 
Lord, as we just read your word right there, God, I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to what this really means and how this really works in our lives and how we can share it. Lord, we do want to be prepared if anyone asks us why we believe what we believe. God, you are real, you are true, and today we want to represent you well. So I pray you'd help us as we study your word. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Peter tells us we shouldn't fear opposition. We shouldn't fear those who are antagonistic or indifferent to the good news. But he says more than that. If someone asks about our hope that we have as a believer, what we believe and why we believe it, we should be ready and prepared to explain why we believe that. Now, you notice that there are some, there's one way we could take that. We could say, okay, so if someone's going to come to me and say, uh, oh, hey, Stuart, you there, uh, so why are you a Christian? Oh, 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 okay. Let me give you the 400 reasons. You know, the big list I got rolled out here. And I'm going to go on, and three hours later, I'm going, and number 299 says, and reason number 300 is, you know, sometimes we can kind of get that kind of picture that we have to have all these thoughts neatly arranged in our head, ready to spit out like a prepared speech, right? You know, like, because if that were the case, then what I would suggest would be that you grab your phone, okay? And you record, you go home, you write it all down, all 400 reasons, and you record it on your phone. And then if someone asks you, they go, so, Stuart, why are you Christian? Oh, wait a second. I'm going to play this for you. Okay, ready? And then you can listen to it, right? Or even better, I could do a video of me talking. Right? You know, talking head kind of thing. All right. So do you see the point? That's not really what, what's going on here, is it? That's not what Peter's saying. He's saying... Because we worship Christ, because we have that relationship with him, as we're doing our life, we're living in a way that draws attention that there's something different about what we're doing. Does that make sense? Okay? So if we think about it, Peter's saying, live so that your lives are so noticeably different that people want to ask you what's going on with that. And as we're preparing this, you know, I'm reminded when I was in high school, uh, I ran track and cross country. Um, I was also a, a little thinner than I am right now because God made food and food is a good thing. Um, but uh, I was really thin when I was, I was in high school. I was like 5'11". I weighed about 150. <laughs> Many moons ago. Uh, so I ran track and cross country. And a lot of times we'd all, we'd all run together, especially in cross country. We'd all start off and we'd run, you know, all the guys, all the gals together. And for the first mile or so, you know, we're just kind of warming up. We're going on a 7, 8, 9, 10-mile run. You know, you don't run your fastest immediately. You kind of get yourself warmed up. And so there's time to talk. And so I remember one day, I just happened to find myself. Uh, it was just me and these three other gals. Uh, I had started a little late. I'd gotten my ankle all taped up, so I was a little late starting. And so as I'm chugging along, I'm, I'm with them, and we're running. And I'm getting ready to kind of just keep on going because they were really chatty. So they're like talking, and as they're going along. But I was there to run, you know, so I'm running along. I'm thinking like chariots of fire. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, all right, I don't sing, so that's as far as we're going to go with that. Uh, but we're running along there, and one of the girls says, Stuart, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. You know, we're running along. She goes, why are you so different? And like I stopped running. I was like, whoa, whoa. And they keep running. I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> you know, I start out running again. So I'm running with them. They're like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like I wore glasses. I was tall. I was geeky. I'm sure that's hard to believe. Um, you know, I was, I was a good student. I'm like, thinking, what in the world is she asking me? Why am I so different, you know? 
She goes, you're not like the rest of the other guys. I'm like, oh, whoa. What does that mean? Okay, I'm 17 years old, okay? You know, you just thoughts that go through your brain. And she said, you're really nice. I said, well, some of the other guys are nice too. I mean, they're my friends. I'm sticking out for my buddies, right? She goes, no, no, I mean, like, you're, you treat people with respect. I was like, whoa, um, what do you say to that? And I realized, oh, I'm supposed to talk about God. <laughs> because the reason I treat people with respect is because God loves every person. God treats each person with complete respect so much, as we'll read in a second, he sent his son to die for them. Can't get any more respect than that. And so as I'm running along, I'm like praying that prayer that we all pray. What do I say? God help me, right? And I said, well, you know, um, I'm a Christian. She goes, well, I go to church too. And the other girl's like, yeah, we do too. I said, well, yeah, lots of people go to church. I said, but I, I've given my heart to God, you know, and I'm trying to live my life the way that he says I should. I said, but more than that, you know, he came in, he made me a new person. She goes, are you one of those born-again Christians? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, wow. So that makes that big of a difference? And then the other girls kind of didn't want to talk about this anymore, so they kind of changed the subject. And I said, well, I'll see you all later, and I just kind of chugged up to catch up with the guys who were just ahead of us. And uh, I thought about that when I was preparing this message. I hadn't thought about that story for a number of years. <laughs> Been out of high school a few years now. Um, and I thought, wow, I guess, I, I guess God was doing something in my life that people could see a difference. But how about all the times where no one did ask me that question? <laughs> you ever wonder about that? Like, I got one good story to tell you, but what about the 25 years since? You know, or 30 years since? <laughs> but, you know, you think about that. How am I living my life? How am I representing Christ as I'm going about my business, doing my job, or going to the store, or meeting people, or interacting with my family, or my friends, or neighbors? Are you tracking with me on this? Is there a difference? And if there is a difference, so that people would even ask us the question, what is about this, or why, why, you know, this bad thing's going on in your life, but you seem to be handling this pretty well. How can you do that? Well, it's because of the Lord. I mean, we have to be ready with an answer. But if they ask another question beyond that, are we ready with the next answer? Do we actually understand and know how this all fits together? So that's what we're going to do today. You ready for that? All right, let's do it. All right, so Peter says to us, make sure your life aligns with your words, with your actions, right? Make sure it's all in alignment to give a clear testimony of who God is and what he's done in your life. You know, a recent survey showed that the average American would feel more comfortable living next door to someone who is Jewish, Buddhist, or Hindu than someone who is an evangelical, Bible-believing Christian. Right? Now, if you find yourself in the category this morning of being someone who's a Bible-believing Christian, you believe what the Bible says and you're trying to live that out, then to know that our neighbors sometimes are not always comfortable with us. Why would that be? Can anyone imagine any reasons why? Okay. Maybe it comes down to some of the things that Peter was talking about. He says, when you share the reason why you have hope, do it with gentleness and do it with respect. And I, I don't know about you, but I've met Christians over the years who forgot the gentleness piece. I remember one time walking in, I was uh, li- living in Boston, and I was walking down the street, and there's a guy out there with an air horn you know, bullhorn, and he's screaming at people why they're going to hell. 
And the looks people were giving him, they just wanted to kill that guy. And I thought, this guy's turning people away from Jesus. He's not opening their ears. He's not warning them. So he and I end up having a little dialogue conversation. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> you know, although 70% of Americans today might say, yeah, I believe that there's a God, and I believe that Jesus Christ lived, and, and they might believe he died, and they might believe some of the, the outline of, of the facts of what we represent in Christianity, 70% of Americans would still subscribe that those things were true. But most people don't actually live that way, or, or the way they look at the world actually isn't shaped by what the Bible says or teaches. They're, maybe you've heard this word. you heard the word worldview. That's how you look at the world, your view of the world. And so people can say, I believe this, but the way we live our lives shows that that belief actually is the filter through which we see everything else that we see, or the way we say, or what we do. So for all of us today, maybe this is a little bit of a check, a little way of checking ourselves, saying, well, you know, is my worldview, is the way I look at everything, and, and, and am I being consistent in what I say and I do and what, how I think? And is the way I see or think and what I do, is that consistent with what the Bible says? So let's look at some of the, here in your notes on the second page, you can see we've got listed here some challenges in sharing Christ. And there's two columns there. And so the first column is the Christian worldview, the Christian viewpoint, okay? So you can write that in the blank, the Christian viewpoint. And so we're talking about Christianity and Jesus is the way to God and Jesus is the truth and those things. There's the Christian viewpoint, and on the right column, that right column is the modern viewpoint. So the Christian viewpoint and the modern viewpoint. And as we mentioned, there are many people today in our culture, in our society, who call themselves Christians, but their beliefs do not line up. Their way of seeing the world does not line up with the left column. Their, their way of seeing the world actually lines up with the column on the right. Are you tracking with me on that? Does that make sense, what we're saying here? Can we just talk through that really quickly? Uh, I, each one of these could be a whole sermon in itself, okay? But we're going to try to really nail this as quickly as we can here. So the Christian viewpoint, let's look at the first one. You've got Christianity versus spirituality, okay? So some people look and they say, well, you're a Christian. I believe in spiritual things. And it's interesting to me in the culture where spirituality is actually pretty popular. But Christianity is not as popular as it once was. People are like, oh, you're a spiritual person, you know? Wow, and they respect people even who are spiritual. You say, well, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, well, that's different. See how people kind of divide those two things? And spirituality is okay. Christianity, maybe not so okay. Why is that? Well, it kind of goes together with the second one, where Christians believe, because the Bible teaches, that Jesus is the way, the only way to God. But people in the modern viewpoint today believe, well, there's many ways to God. So how do those two points fit together? Okay, let's think about this. Most people today believe there's many ways to God because, why do they do that? Not just because they're being tolerant and open-minded. It's because at the core, they believe that religion has one purpose. That all religions, no matter what label it's on it, no matter what, you know, maybe they have distinctives to them or different flavors to them, but every religion does the same thing. It's a way, it's a moral code that you follow, you do the right things, and it gets you to God. So people say, well, yeah, I mean, all religions, I believe all religions get you to God. When someone says that, what they're saying effectively is, because, I believe that, because 
Religion is just a way to organize your behavior so God will accept you. Does that make sense? So rather than argue with them why this religion is different than this religion, that's not going to answer their viewpoint, is it? Because you're just arguing why your flavor is better than someone else's flavor. Strawberry is better than Rocky Road. Well, that's my viewpoint. I'm sticking to it. You know? I mean, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my dad was a Chevy guy, and Chevy guys believed that their cars were better than Ford guys, and Ford guys believed their cars were better than Chevy guys. Okay? And then the Japanese came along, and everyone said, oh, well, maybe they're better. I don't know. You know, we all have different opinions on those kind of things. That's what people think we're doing when we try to argue why Christianity is distinct from some other religion, unless we can share them why it's different and why it's distinct. That's what we're going to do today. Is that, is that cool? You see, well, if we don't understand these barriers that people have in their minds, we think we're arguing one thing. We're actually, they're talking about something else. All right, let's keep going. So the next one on the list is Jesus is the truth versus truth is relative. And we can take that one together with the next one, too. Truth is permanent, the Bible says. If it's true, it's always true, whereas the, the, the viewpoint today is more that truth is relative, which means it can change. So even though it was true 200 years ago when the country was founded that this was true, that may not be true today. So a, a court can come along and reinterpret a law that this was true before, but now it's not true because culture has changed. So those are two different ways of looking at things. A recent Gallup poll that said that 66% of Americans do not believe there's anything such as absolute truth. So the chances are that most of the people that you and I are going to run into we're going to try to argue for something that this is true and that's not true, and they don't actually maybe believe that to the fullest extent. Maybe you've heard of the modern philosopher. Uh, his name's really hard to pronounce. It's uh, Johnny Rotten of the band The Sex Pistols. Anyone ever heard of them? Older group. Uh, but they sang this, one of their songs was, If nothing is true, everything is possible. If nothing is true... Everything is possible. So people say, you know, like, I'll have a conversation with my dad, and we'll go, what's wrong with the world? Why is everything gone crazy? Well, if nothing is absolutely true, and everything's relative, then you could do anything and everything. No barriers, no holds, no limits. Does that make sense? People are just living out the implications of what they say they believe. Uh, the, the philosopher Dostoevsky who's a real philosopher, said this, if God is dead, then everything is permitted. But you know, even people who say things like that aren't really consistent with it. I've talked to people, they go, well, you can't force your viewpoint of, his, you know, of biblical Christianity that says that there are absolute truths. Because you're saying that if something is absolutely true, then no matter where someone lives or when they lived or what culture they lived in, that they have to bow to that truth. That's what you're saying. That's an oppressive way of looking at things. And I said, well, you believe that in some ways. Oh, no, I don't. They said, okay, uh, can I see your phone? And, and maybe they'll hand me their phone. I'll say, well, thanks very much. I'll start to walk away. And they go, whoa, 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 wait a second. That's my phone. I said, are you saying it's wrong for me to take your phone? In my culture, in this time period, I believe that things that people hand to me belong to me. And no one ever agrees with me on that point. Everybody always thinks stealing my stuff is wrong. So you see what I'm saying? People are inconsistent in the way they apply this. 
And why are people inconsistent? The same reason that you and I are inconsistent. Because it suits our needs. <laughs> because we want to do a certain thing, and we don't want this absolute truth to say you can't do a certain thing, so we organize our way of believing and thinking so we can do that certain thing. But don't take my stuff. Right? I mean, I've, no matter, I've had debates with, with, with some pretty high-level people over the years and conversations and even the, the brightest one who says, no, here's all the philosophical reasons why I don't believe that truth is absolute, I believe in relative truth, would say the Holocaust is wrong. They would say murder is wrong. They said you should treat people nicely. And I say, why should I? Why should I treat someone nicely? Why should I? Well, it's good for society. It's good. We should be. Why? You can't say should, that you should do something or you shouldn't do something, if there's no absolute truth. You see what I'm saying? Anyone who says differently is inconsistent. So we need to be prepared. People are going to say these things, but they're being inconsistent. So we find the point of commonality where they actually do believe in absolute truth, and we go from there. Say, well, okay, you believe that, but here's what God says. Okay? And the final one is priority uh, for a believer, someone who's following the Bible. Our priority is our life with Jesus Christ. Whereas the worldly point of view says, the modern point of view says, that the highest priority is helping others. Now, helping others is really good, isn't it? It's important, right? How do we know it's important? Jesus even says to us, and as much as you did it to the least of these, you've done it to me, right? So we know that Jesus is telling us that he expects our actions to be those that we care for other people, right? He commands it. If I had time, I could go through a hundred scriptures where this is commanded to do. But there's a difference in motive. You know, some people help people, and there's some mixed motives to it. Sometimes I give to something because I feel guilty. And if I give the money, I hope I'll feel better. Now, I gave the money, and it's going to help, or I gave some help to someone, but I did it for the motive, but I just want to feel better. Can we be honest? And a lot of giving happens that way. Sometimes I give because if I give, it's a good thing. All right, that's a good motive. But I'm going to get a tax deduction. I don't know how many of you are working on your taxes right now. What a painful time of the year, okay? All right? But, I mean, that's another reason. There's all different reasons. And a lot of times we do give. People do give out of genuine care and concern for others. And we're to do that as well. But our highest priority is to honor Jesus Christ. Everything that I say as a disciple, everything that I do, every motivation that's in my heart, every thought in my mind, should be aligned with how is this going to honor Jesus Christ? Because if he gets the credit, more than just giving someone a fish so they can eat for a day, you know how the analogy goes, I'm going to teach them how to fish. And how can I do that? Because I can point them to the one who cares about them, not only in this life and will supply and help them in this life, but will give them a life for all of eternity with God forever in heaven. Do you see how the importance thing there? It's about serving people and caring for them in the moment, taking care of that physical need. They may never know I'm a Christian, but if I'm doing it for Christ, I trust him that he's going to do something with it. But if there's an opportunity to point them to Christ, I'm going to do that. Does, does that make sense how that works together? I hope that's a good summary. All right. How do we know this is what we're supposed to do? How do we know that, that, how, that, that this biblical way of, of thinking, that this is what God would have us to do? Uh, there are times when we could talk to people who are, who are smarter than we are, who have thought some things through more than we have. They've got questions we don't know how to answer. But folks, I want to encourage you this morning. We don't have to have all the answers in our own heads and our own hearts. 
If I can go back to the first page of our notes, I want to remind you of the core truth of Christianity. John 3.16. If you don't know anything else, please, please, please make sure this is burned in your heart. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God sent his son in the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. For God so loved the world, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to know him, for everyone to have eternal life, for everyone to experience forgiveness of sin. So if you didn't understand a word of what I said before that, and if you're afraid you're not going to understand a word of what I'm going to say afterwards, can you please remember that? That's the main thing, right? If someone asks you and you don't know what to say, that's a, there's a reason why it's the most popular verse in the Bible. Okay? It says it all right there. And I want to remind us of that. But I also want to let you know that as we come across in contact with people, God says that he will be there and he'll help us with that. And so I want to draw your attention to the video screen right now. And I want to show, we're going to show you two stories, two video testimonies back to back of someone, part of our Trinity Life Network, someone who's been part of our congregation, and how they just felt impressed by the Lord to say one thing, and we'll see where that one thing led. Let's see your screens, let's see Bonnie's story and then Christian's story. We think about it. So as someone is going to vote, God brings a thought to her mind. I need to invite this person to come to church. And the result is that person is part of our body today. If you think about it, it's, it's this whole idea of being ready to share God's story. It can be simple as an invitation. Even as Pastor Phil shared today about uh, sharing with someone at Chili's. Or it is a matter of being ready to, to talk about who God is and what he's done. Our big idea today is that we can share the love and forgiveness that we've received ourselves simply by telling God's story of who he is and what he has done for them. Let me say that again. You and I have the opportunity to share the love and forgiveness that we've received by telling others God's story of who he is and what he has done for them. In the study that we've been doing, our small group study uh, on Contagious Christian, one of the things that they uh, share with us is what's called the five-second gospel. And so there's four points to that. It's basically like telling God's story by talking about the four main characters in God's story. So if you just whip out your pen, I hope you're ready to go. Let's just try to, let's just try to fill that out really briefly. It's the basics, essential truths of Christianity. As we look at this, the first character in God's story, of course, is God. And the, what is the story about God in the five-second gospel? God loves us. As we read, in, we read in John 3, 16, God so loved the world. 1 John 4 says, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. What do we know about God? If someone says, well, I don't know about God. I don't know. Is he angry or who he is? God is loving. Can we remember that? God so loved the world. The second thing we have to know is that people really matter to God. They're important to him. But we also have to remember God is holy. First Peter tells us, now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy 
because I am holy. What does that mean that God is holy? It means God has a standard far above ours. So God is loving and God is holy, but God is also just. And that's good news too. Now people say, wait a second, I'm not sure I'm comfortable about the idea about God being the judge. That's the thing I'm worried about, that God's judging me, all right? But actually, God being just and God being a God of justice is good news. Because I'll tell you, what do you and I expect of our judges? We expect that they will always uphold what is right, don't we? That they have a strong sense, an absolute sense of what is right and what is wrong. One of the things that people uh, complain about in our society, and rightfully so, is there's different standards for different people. And sometimes we see this even with famous people where if, if a regular person does a certain crime, they might go to jail for it. But if another famous person does it, somehow they get away with it. And we can see this even with our athletes or actors or singers, people that we consider high in our culture, somehow get treated to a different standard. The Bible tells us that God is not like this. He is a God of justice. He always does what is right. That's good news, isn't it? Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul tells us, in his justice, God will pay back those who persecute you. Because he's a God of justice, everything that he does is right. And we all, in a sense, everyone will get what they deserve. The good news, though, is we don't stop with just the first character of who God is, that he's loving and he's holy and he's just. Although we've fallen short of his standard, we see the second character is us. God loves us, but the problem is is that we blew it. We were created good, but we became sinful. That's the fill in the book word there. We were created sinful. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The reality is, is no matter how good you and I try to be, we can never reach up to fulfilling God's standard. We can't earn enough works. We can't do the right thing or, or just not try to hurt anybody, and that's going to be good enough. You can't earn your way to God. You can't build a bridge long enough from us to God. The distance is too great. So that's the problem we have. We all fall short. And that means because God is holy and just that we all deserve death. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're all in the same predicament. We've all fallen short. We are all morally bankrupt. We're all helpless spiritually. What does it mean to be bankrupt? It means we have bills to pay, things that we owe, and we have nothing in our account to pay it with. Well, morally, that's where every human being, no matter how good they appear on the outside, that's where we all are. Because our standard and our definition of good is not God's definition. He is pure. He is holy. He can't even look upon sin, the Bible tells us. There's not even one smidgen or one iota of sin in God. And so that distance, we're morally bankrupt. What can we do? Isaiah says we're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Think about that. Dirty clothes don't get clean by themselves. They've got to be washed. You have to have some external agent come and wash that away. So the bottom line here for us is we blew it. We were created good, but we've become sinful. Each one of us is morally bankrupt. And then the third character is that Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ paid that price. He offers God's forgiveness as a gift. The Bible shows that Christ is God who also became man. We see this in John 1.14. The Word, talking about Jesus, became human 
and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Why do Christians believe that this man, Jesus Christ, was also fully God? Because that's what the Bible teaches us. And on the basis of what he's done, by him dying on the cross, he was able, one person who was also God, to take our place. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago is effective for whoever will accept him today. Because the Bible tells us that Christ died as our substitute on the cross. That's his next word. He is our substitute. And Christ accepted what he did. I mean, God accepted what Christ did on our behalf. What Jesus did is completely effective for us. First Peter 2 tells us, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I don't know how you feel today this morning or how you felt in the past. Perhaps you've run into someone who just feels alone and feels not accepted, that feels unloved. We all can have moments where we feel like that. I want to remind you that because of what Jesus Christ has done, you are a child of God. You've been accepted into his family, and he is a good father. Imagine, I don't know about you, but there are times where I think, wow, imagine if I'd been born into a family that had great uh, wealth or great notoriety in the right way, you know, who had this or that, or we had access to things. I grew up in a very simple home. And I think, I used to think about those things when I was younger. But then one day I realized, wait a second, I'm a child of Almighty God. What does that mean? That means when I need something, I can go to my Heavenly Father, and He is ready to answer my prayer. I can say, God, I feel alone. I need you. And He is there for us. The Bible tells us He is the friend who is closer than a brother or sister. As we think about that, because of what Jesus has done, because of his amazing grace, you and I have a gift of salvation. The Bible tells us that Christ offers his forgiveness as a free gift. Ephesians 2, Pastor Phil referred to this in, uh, earlier in the service. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. All that God has done is a free gift for us. He has taken our place. He's taken the penalty of our sins upon himself. He's substituted himself for us. And he's made it possible for you and I to have a relationship with him. The bottom line here is Christ paid for it. And finally, the fourth character in the God story is you. <laughs> you and I, each one of us, every person has to make a decision whether they're going to receive him or not. The Bible tells that you and I must respond. That's the fill in the blank. We must respond. It takes a response. This isn't something that, takes, that happens to us, that we receive God's free gift of salvation automatically by walking into a church. It's not something that happens to us automatically because someone else in our family is a follower of Christ. It's a decision that each and every person has to make for themselves. John 1.12 says this, But to all who believed him, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. There it is again, that amazing offer that God has given. I want to bring you into my family. You just need to believe what Jesus Christ has done and accept him. And how do we do that? We receive him by asking him to be our forgiver and our leader. Maybe you've heard these words before. Sometimes we, talk, we say, 
I, want, I ask Jesus Christ to be my Savior and my Lord. But for people today, for many people today, it helps me to think about it this way. Jesus Christ is my forgiver. He's the one who has, because of what he's done on the cross, has made it possible for everything wrong I've ever done to be forgiven by God. He remembers it no more. When, when the enemy comes and says, uh, do you remember what Stuart did when he lied or when he did this wrong? God says, I don't remember that. God, who doesn't forget anything, has chosen to forget our sin because we've been covered. We've accepted Jesus Christ as our forgiver. And then we've gone to the, the part of that. You can't do one without the other. He's my forgiver, which means now he's my leader. He's, my, he's the one who leads my life. When I have a decision I need to make, I go to him. When I'm not sure what to do, I go to him. When I'm feeling uh, bad or I'm feeling uh, unloved, I'm feeling hurt in many ways, I go to him. He's my leader, and my leader it comes to me, and he pours forth his strength, and he pours forth his acceptance and his love and his care into our lives. What an awesome gift he has given to us. 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So what's the four-minute gospel? What we learned today? We've learned that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. We've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. That means we are no longer the same person that we were before. Spiritually, we've passed from death into life, transformed by the Holy Spirit. The old life is gone, and a new life has become, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. The bottom line, the five-second gospel, is God loves us. Isn't that good? God loves us today. Every person you and I come in contact today, what can we tell them? We can look them right in the eye and say, God loves you. But the problem is, is we blew it. But the good news is, is Christ paid for it. And all we have to do is we have to respond and receive him. That's his message today. As Pastor Phil comes, and as our worship team comes uh, to close the service, I want to ask you, where are you today? Have you received him?